Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved. He loved you and gave himself up for you as an offering and a sacrifice to God, as a fragrant aroma. And so the picture here is very simple, imitation, imitation of Christ. We could say imitation is salvation. And this imitation is a central motif in scripture. It's certainly central to the theology of Paul. Now, we don't think that Paul has actually been present to this church, whether it's the Laodiceans or the Ephesians. And so where Paul has been present, he'll say, for example, to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. But here in Ephesians, he just says, the model is God revealed in Christ. And so this appeal to imitate God, it's there throughout Ephesians. He becomes very specific. He says in 432, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Christ is the model. The appeal throughout Ephesians is that being members of one another in Christ entails adapting his form of life in 421 to 22. If indeed you have heard him, and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Jesus is the model. And so even and especially the most intimate of relationships, here later in chapter 5, he holds up Christ as the model in the marriage relationship. In 525, husbands, loved your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so imitation of Christ is the central motif of scripture, but it has been obscured by Martin Luther's reaction to works righteousness. And unfortunately, we have inherited this obscurity. And so Luther's confrontations with the Anabaptists, you know, in the 1520s and 1530s, the Anabaptists were teaching that we are to live, literally imitate Christ. They read the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, and they say, oh, we're to do these things. But Luther had the idea with the just war tradition and his whole notion of two kingdoms, that literal imitation of Christ is really not a possibility. And I think we're the heirs of that misunderstanding. That is, to imitate Christ will necessarily include nonviolence and turning the other cheek. That's very clear. One of the clearest teachings of the New Testament. 
But for a violent Christianity, simple imitation of Christ is obscured then by his notion of just war, but by several theological notions. And maybe it's rare for someone to say, you know, just to verbalize that, oh, we don't believe in imitating Christ in this church. But much of modern theology does not really live up or even leave room for literal imitation. It's too strong. It's too difficult. And in fact, it does not know quite what to do even with the life of Christ theologically. Now the way this I experienced this in seminary, and maybe this is typical, nobody ever got up and said, don't imitate Christ. But in my gospel classes where we actually studied the life of Christ, the focus was on harmonizing the gospels, trying to fit them together, rather than studying the life and teaching of Christ as a model to be imitated. So the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, I was taught, oh, these are of the Old Covenant. And in turn, our doctrine of atonement, you know, taking up the cross and following Jesus, that's displaced by a notion of the atonement that Jesus died so that I don't have to. Jesus' final payment for sin is the meaning here. So faith alone, it may not completely exclude the notion of imitating Christ, but it is made secondary. And Luther demonstrates this in his preference for the term conforming to Christ rather than imitating Christ. And he did this precisely to de-emphasize the Anabaptist focus on imitation. And I think imitation, though, it's clearly here in Ephesians and many of Paul's letters, imitation is central in Paul's theology. And of course, Pauline theology in the Reformation is really taken as central in the New Testament, but it's taken as central as interpreted through Luther and Calvin. And this makes very little theological sense of the life and teaching of Christ. We don't know quite what to do with the Gospels. And so focus on Christ as a sacrificial payment displaces the theological significance of the historical Jesus. And so it's not so much that Paul trumps Jesus, but I think Luther and Calvin's Paul trumps the Paul that is really there in the New Testament, that the Paul that is focused upon the historical Jesus. So faith alone, penal substitution, it's kind of an anti-works understanding. You know, we're saved by faith, not by works. Well, this renders imitation of the historical Jesus secondary. And so, for example, one of the grand theologies of the Reformation was that of Rudolf Boltmann, the theology of the New Testament. Even though he calls it theology of the New Testament, he's focused primarily on Paul's theology. And within Paul's theology, the idea of imitation is all but dismissed. And so in this understanding, the historical Jesus is more of a problem to be solved 
than a model to be followed. And in this view, since Paul, you know, well, they would say he had no link with the historical Jesus. And maybe this is reflected in his theology. And, oh, don't we know that the Gospels are inconsistent or they need to be harmonized and we need to recover the historical Jesus? I'm voicing here the understanding in which the historical Jesus is made secondary and the life of Christ is really secondary to Paul's theology. Now, at a, at a popular level, I think the imitation of Jesus, it resurfaced. You remember the bracelets everybody was wearing? WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it was actually based on Charles Sheldon's novel that he wrote in the late 19th century, In His Steps. And the subtitle was, What Would Jesus Do? But I think this is reduced to a kind of religious fad. I don't see those bracelets anymore. And I think it was a fad because it was focused on a kind of ethical decisionism. Rather than taking the life of Christ as key to theological understanding. In other words, it was just a kind of momentary thing. I think the same thing could be said about the Anabaptists. They did have a notion of a literal imitation of Christ, but they did not set this imitation within a larger theological understanding. And so Anabaptists could read the Sermon on the Mount, they could read Jesus' other ethical teaching, but this would fall short, I think, of a theology that we'll talk about in which the imitation of Christ, the historical Jesus, is the very fabric of Christian salvation. Now there are many passages that's like this passage in Ephesians that talk about imitating Christ. But really much of the vocabulary and theology of the New Testament presumes this imitation. You know, walking as Christ walked, putting on the faith of Christ, taking up the cross, even being in Christ, being a disciple of Christ, being part of the family of Christ. All of these are premised on imitation. And the central significance of imitation, I'm afraid, is lost if Christ is primarily a payment for sin or a legal remedy obtaining, you know, Luther's notion of imputed righteousness or the idea of just a legal righteousness. But the question is, what if imitation of Christ is in fact the primary means of salvation? A salvation not merely of a future a state, but a present tense realization, as Paul puts it, of putting on Christ and putting off evil. Could it be that imitating Christ is atonement? It is an ethic. It is a theology. I mean, just think a minute. The purpose behind the writing of the New Testament, beginning with the Gospels, is that the life of Christ is a model around which his teaching and Christian teaching coheres. You know, this is what the incarnation is about. The life and death and resurrection of Christ. It's not primarily a set of doctrines. It's not primarily propositions. It's not primarily an institution. 
But it's a life and it's a model that is to be imitated. And this is the opening of the Gospels. Follow me. And the reason for the recording of this life, the reason for prompting this particular ethic, the reason that we have doctrines, is to bring about reduplication of the life of Christ in his followers. It's his life that is being shared in the gospel. And our lives then are shaped then by this gospel message, this imitation, this participation. I would say this is the very substance of salvation. Paul's gospel coheres around the understanding that imitation is the mode of salvation. His suffering is to be imitated. You know, Paul's suffering because he's suffering like Christ. His imprisonment, he describes, you know, I'm in prison for Christ. His manner of life. This is why he can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's part and parcel of the gospel he is modeling. And he says as much in several of his letters uh, in 1 Timothy. This actually, Timothy himself is left as a model at various churches, you know, follow Timothy. But he says this in 1 Timothy 1.16, For this reason I found mercy so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who believe in him for eternal life. Paul's a model. Timothy's a model. Every disciple of Christ, that's the way discipleship works. It is modeled for us. Now certainly we can have bad models, and Paul is aware of this in many of his letters. You know, especially you think of his letter to the Corinthians. The Corinthians have a rivalry going for hierarchy and power in the church. But Paul has a singular recommendation, a singular resolution in 1 Corinthians 11.1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And of course the danger is, that in, in the same verse he says, the danger is you'll create a scandal of imitation God bad. He says, give no offense. Do not become a scandal to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, there's the key, you know, to avoiding scandal, to avoiding a kind of rivalry, so that many might be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. I think we can just say to be saved is to imitate Christ. And if we don't believe in imitating Christ, I don't think we can be saved. Because what salvation is, is to walk as Jesus walked. It's to do what Jesus did. In what may be considered one of Paul's earliest letters, the letter to the Thessalonians, if you look at 1 Thessalonians 1.6, Paul describes the whole process, the kind of echoing of this imitation, that it's through imitation that the Thessalonians became Christians, and it's through imitation that the people surrounding the Thessalonians will become Christians. 
He says in 1.6, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Here it is, the imitation of the Lord, the imitation of Paul, and then the imitation of the Thessalonians. He goes on to say in 1.5, This is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the conviction of the gospel. No imitation, no Holy Spirit. No imitation, no conviction of the gospel. Imitation is the way the gospel spreads. As becoming imitators of Christ and the apostles, that's the very way one receives the gospel. You know, could it be otherwise? Imitation is, Paul says in 1.5, a sign of election. It's the way the gospel works, not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit. Imitation inevitably takes up the suffering of Christ, but also entails joy, 1.6. And Paul describes his imparting of the gospel as giving his own life. Having so fond an affection for you, in 2.8, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. And so the life of Christ in the life of Paul, as Paul has imitated Christ, is the very means of providing sustenance. He describes this in 2.7. Paul will use father image. Here he uses mother image. That I've nursed you as a mother nurses her children, giving you my very own life. And so the way the gospel is taken up, the way of discipleship, it continues, it's established through imitation of a model. This is what he says in 2 Thessalonians. For you yourselves know you ought to follow our example. Because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, so that you would follow our example. 2 Thessalonians 2. So then, brethren, stand firm. Hold to the traditions, the traditions you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us, why do people write letters? Why do people speak? Why do they preach? For imitation. Imitation is what it means to hold to the traditions. This is the point of being taught, whether verbally or in writing. It coheres as a model, Paul says, resulting in good work. And you can understand why Martin Luther didn't like that and why many evangelical Christians don't like that. Because, oh, we're saved by faith. Tradition and gospel and rule of faith. What does that mean? It contains a living model, a life to be shared through imitation. And apart from imitating the life that is conveyed to us in this way, there is no gospel. There is no tradition. There is no faith. And so each of Paul's letters is premised on imitation.
But maybe this is more the case in Philippians than any other letter. Look at Philippians chapter 2 a minute. This is a key verse on imitation. And the irony is that interpreting Philippians, if it is not understood that Paul and Christ are models to be imitated, then the very substance of what Christ has done is obscured. That is the entire movement of Christ. It's not a one-off payment for sin, but it's meant to be a manner of life. Paul says this in 2, 5 to 8, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now we can mistranslate this, we can misunderstand this, if we imagine Paul is describing Christ's movement from some pre-incarnate state to the incarnation. We can't imitate that. We can't empty ourselves in that way. This is James McClendon. He says, hence the dominant feature of Philippians 2, 5 to 11 has never been a heavenly descent myth. It's not a passage about the pre-incarnate acts of God, but one that juxtaposes Jesus' earthly vicissitudes, his earthly suffering, with the vast claim of his lordship. That is, how did Jesus become lord? That's what's being described through his suffering and death on earth. And then he becomes Lord in heaven and in the netherworld. And so Jesus' refusal to grasp equality with God, that must refer to the temptation in his incarnation. And that's a temptation we know something about. And we can resist that through imitating Christ. Paul's premise throughout is to encourage imitation. He says this in 3.17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Why can Paul talk about you know, following him? Because he's following Christ. Jesus is the primary model. And Jesus is the pattern which Paul has modeled. If we do not believe that imitating Christ is salvation, then we're not following Jesus. We're not following Paul. And so Christ's lordship is established through his suffering, his death on the cross. And we are to imitate this pattern, his manner of life, his humility, his suffering, his death. That's the archetypical pattern. It's not simply a one-off payment which cannot be replicated. This is the very image of God which he models and which the, you know, the first pair, Adam and Eve, and their progeny, they failed to live up to this designated task. You know, it's not a state that one just naturally has, but it's a thing to be realized, this image of God, through the path of servitude and suffering. 
this is the model of the divine image that Christ has given us. And we as his disciples imitate. Here's my conclusion. It is his life that is being shared in the gospel message. So that imitation and participation are salvation. Apart from imitating the life thus conveyed, there is no gospel. There is no tradition. There is no faith. On this basis, Thomas Akempis writes his famous book. It's called The Imitation of Christ. And he urges a focus on the study of the life of Christ as the means to imitate his life and gain salvation. And salvation is this practical walking as he walked. Here's Thomas Akempis. He who follows me, he's quoting Jesus, walks not in darkness, says the Lord. By these words of Christ, we are advised to imitate his life and habits. If we wish to be truly enlightened and free from all blindness of heart, let our chief effort therefore be to study the life of Christ. Study the life of Christ as a model to be imitated and a life to be shared through imitation. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.